seemed as if they must perish with him, and now he knew that they were still unchanged. Outside the door, he paused a moment, hesitating whether to go first. Not to the queen. The very thought of her grief unnerved him. He would not see her till he could once more clasp her in his arms and bid her weep tears of joy only, because he was come again. After all, he had but an hour to wait. Before the castle clock struck twelve, he would be back again in life, remembering these things only as a dream. He sighed a little to think of it. All that to do over again some day, he said, as he recalled his last moments. Almost he turned again to the couch he had so lately left. But I have never yet done anything through fear, said the king, and he smiled as he thought of the terms of the compact. His city lay before him in the moonlight. I could find three thousand as easily as three, he said. Are they not all my friends? As he passed out of the gate, he saw a child sitting on the steps, crying bitterly. What is the matter, little one? asked the sentinel on guard, stopping a moment. Father and mother have gone to the castle, because the king's dead, sobbed the child. And they've never come back again. And I'm so tired and so hungry. And I've had no supper and my doll's broken. Oh, I do wish the king were alive again. And she burst into a fresh storm of weeping. It amused the king not a little. So this is the first of my subjects that wants me back, he said. He had no child of his own. He would have liked to try and comfort the little maiden, but there were other calls before him just then. He was on the way to the house of his great friend, the man whom he loved more than all others. A kind of malicious delight possessed him as he pictured to himself the deep dejection he should find him in. Poor Amias, he said. I know what I should be feeling in his place. I'm glad he was not taken. I could not have borne his loss. As he entered the courtyard of his friend's house, lights were being carried to and fro, horses were being saddled, an air of bustle and excitement pervaded the place. Look where he might. He could not see the face he knew so well. He entered at the open door. His friend was not in the hall. Room after room he vainly traversed. They were all empty. A sudden horror took him. Surely Amias was not dead of grief. He came at length to a small private apartment in which they had spent many a happy, busy hour together. But his friend was not here either, though to judge by appearances he could only have just left it. Books and papers were tumbled all about in strange confusion, and bits of broken glass strewed the floor. A little pitcher was lying on the ground. The king picked it up, and recognised a miniature of himself, the frame of which had been broken in the fall. He let it drop again as if it had burnt him. The fire was blazing brightly, and the fragments of a half-destroyed letter lay unconsumed as yet in the fender. He was in his own writing. He snatched it up and saw that it was the last he had written, containing the details of an elaborate scheme which he had much at heart. He had only just thrown it back into the flames when two people entered the room talking together. One a lady, the other a man, booted and spurred as though he came from a long distance. Where is Amias? he asked. Gone to proffer his services to the new king, of course, said the lady. We are, as you may think, in great anxiety. 
he has none of the ridiculous notions of his predecessor, who indeed hated him cordially. The very favour Amias has hitherto enjoyed will stand in his way at the new court. I only hope he may be in time to make his peace. He can with truth say that he utterly disapproved of the foolish reforms which his late master was bent on making. Of course, he was fond of him in a way, but we must think of ourselves, you know. People in our position have no time for sentiment. He started almost immediately after the king's death. I am sending his retinue after him. Quite right, said the gentleman, whom the king now knew as one of his ambassadors. I shall follow him at once. Between you and me, it is no bad thing for the country. That poor boy had no notion of statesmanship. He forced me to conclude a peace which would have been disastrous to all our best interests. Happily, we shall have a war directly now. Promotions in the army would have been at a standstill if he had had his way.